I love this Sunday. I like it because we've kind of crested Thanksgiving, right? We made it to the top. We're on the downside of Thanksgiving week. We can see Christmas off in the distance. Not too far away from Thanksgiving that we've forgotten it. And yet Christmas is just arm's length away, sitting right out there for us. Such a cool time of the year. I love this Sunday. Love to preach on this Sunday. But I'm going to make a couple confessions this morning. I'm ready for the turkey to go away for a while. <laughs> I've had enough turkey. I'm not a big turkey fan anyway. I love it on that day. I love to smell it cooking in the house and all that stuff. Fortunate this year, my brother-in-law fried one. And if you've never had a fried turkey, it sounds wrong, but man, is it so good. And he fried a turkey this year, and we ate a little bit over there. And we brought a couple pieces home with us, and I'm done. I'm done with that. Let's be honest. Thanksgiving's really about the sides anyway, right? The turkey's the excuse, but it's really about the stuffing and the rolls and the gravy and the sweet potato casserole and the green beans and the pumpkin pie and the apple pie and the lemon pound cake. For breakfast in the morning. <laughs> Usually I start at the sides and then just lay a piece of turkey on top of everything else just so I can like meet the Thanksgiving requirement of having a piece of turkey. I'm going to be honest with you, I'd rather have a ham. So we cooked a ham at our house on Friday because, again, turkey, don't want any more. Don't even want it in my freezer because it's just going to sit there until I throw it away. But a ham, well, I tell you what, black eyed peas at New Year's with that bone that's already in the freezer waiting. Potato soup cooking today with ham in it. You can just do so much with ham. I'm also going to make another confession, too. Every year I come into this Sunday with the idea that, man, I'm going to preach Christmas different than I've ever done it before. And then I remember somebody who's a lot smarter and wiser than me, Dr. Craig, said, um, every pastor that tries to do that usually falls flat on their face because there's nothing you can do to make Christmas better than it already is. So just tell the story. It's good enough on its own. Get out of the way and let it be. But I do think that this is an interesting Sunday, and this passage in Galatians gives us something interesting because it's not just Christmas. We see that we celebrate the arrival of a Savior, right? He's right there. We can see him coming. It's the intersection of God and earth. But, you know, something else has happened this year, too. It, it's an interesting year. I don't think we have to go through all the reasons why it's been an interesting year. One of the current trends that I see going is that around October, People said, can we just fast forward to Christmas because then we'll be just a stone's throw to 2021 and we'll be out of 2020. Let's just get 2020 over with. It's been a year. It's been a crazy year. If we could just get to 2021, there might be something great in 2021 or maybe something not as bad as 2020. Keep telling ourselves that. And I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I get stuck 
prognosticating and trying to read the future and look out and go, yeah, it's going to be better over there, out there. It has to be until I was reminded that the grass is always greener over the septic tank. So I start thinking about this. And I start getting caught looking off in the distance. And when I do that, something happens. I forget where I am. Some of you are looking at me going, but isn't that the point of playing the future game is to get you out of the place that you're in now? Christmas is the arrival of God's redemptive plan on earth, the arrival of a Savior, and the only thing that should be able to take our focus off the future. I know that sounds crazy, but listen for a second. We are future-minded people. And the reason we are is because the future is the one thing that doesn't make any sense to us. We can't understand it, and we can't control it. So people are obsessed with it. Since the beginning of time, people have been obsessed with trying to figure out what comes next, what comes next, what comes next. But when we get to stand today on the downside of Thanksgiving, looking at the arrival of a Savior, it should remind us that we don't have to be future thinkers anymore. Because when Jesus came, he solved our future problem. Paul says more than once in Scripture, fullness of time. It's one of my favorite expressions in the New Testament. The fullness of time. That when God picked this time. You know, I could love to be a fly on the wall before the world. God's sitting in his office. He's got his calendar out. There's no time yet. Because when he said, let there be light, he also created time. So there is no time pre-existent to that. God's standing there and he goes, this day, in this century, in these people, I'm going to send my son. Just let that sink in for a second. I was teaching a high school guy's Bible study class a few years back and I was finishing my master's. And those poor kids... Every week was like me working out seminary in that classroom with them. And I just dumped on them until their heads like exploded and it ran out of their ears. And one night I started all the way back at the Babylonian Empire. And I traced it all the way to the arrival of Jesus. In every kingdom that had rose and every kingdom that fell. And everything that happened in preparation for God saying now is the perfect time. Everything from the development of the roads system that Rome put in place that made the spread of the gospel easy. Everything from all the pagan religions. You might say to yourself, oh, why do they have to do? Because all people were at a spiritual peak. It might not have been God they were looking for, but they were looking for spiritual answers. Sort of reminds me a little of the world we're in right now. People are desperate for an answer. They can't figure it out. They're looking everywhere for it. And because of the fullness of time, we sit here with the answer. But if we get too future-minded, we forget to be where we are. And don't forget, when fullness of time, God's talking about the arrival of his son, but he's also talking about the time that he decided that you were going to exist. How many times do you stop to think about that? You are where you are right now because this is the time and the place that God said you would be. Pandemic or not, problems or not, 
You are in the time and the place you are because God said so. And to stand on the hill and see Christ should affirm that. To see Christmas should affirm that. So fast forward, not so fast. You'll miss so much. As crazy as 2020 has been, it has also cracked open the door to so many ministry opportunities that people would have never seen if it wasn't for what we have gone through. There are more people looking for answers now than there were in February. There are more people hungry for the gospel now. They may not know they're hungry for it, but they're hungry for an answer. And we're in that time and place. We're in that season. Jesus solves your future problems so you can be present-minded. You know, C.S. Lewis said, aim for earth and you'll miss heaven, but if you aim for heaven, you get earth thrown in. There's also that saying, too, that you can be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. You see, security looks like this. See, we're going to talk about adoption this morning, what it's like to be a son, what it's like to be an heir to the kingdom, but also the security that should bring us. To where we can stand and look at Christmas and go, I have the security that I have because of what God did at the time God did it. And God has a plan for me too, in this time, in this place. In ministry, one of the most common pushbacks I've always heard has been about age. Too young, too old. Too young, too old. Too young, too old. You realize God used John well into his 80s, producing content that would be in our New Testament. You realize Jesus used the children that circled around him. That's the illustration of how we should be if we're going to get the kingdom. I used to have little kids come up to me and they go, well, I, I can't do all that stuff. And I said, can you talk about Jesus? Can you be honest about what he's done for you and who, what he means to you? Yeah, it's all you need. It's all you need. This passage in Galatians is amazing, though. Galatians 4.1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors unto the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons... God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Listen to this part. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. If you bow your head with me this morning. Lord, I'm so grateful to open your word this morning. I'm so grateful for the fact that it's going to speak this morning. Because it's alive. Father, I pray that you hide me behind the cross this morning so the word that is heard for your people is the message that you have for them this morning. God, continue to bless us. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Not just sons, but heirs. You know, that first verse says, The heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Some renderings in Greek say the word slave instead of servant, but it doesn't matter because Paul's not comparing the child to that. He's talking about freedom. He's talking about the ability of that child to make the decisions and who's over him. I remember as a kid growing up being so ready for stuff well before I was. I don't know if any of y'all remember that. I remember my first job like it was yesterday. I'm not going to tell you where it was because I won't eat there anymore. Not after I've seen what happens in the back. Not after they let somebody like me work in the back. I don't eat there anymore. But I remember going, ah, three hours after school? I could do that. So I begged and begged and begged and begged. And this was back when you had to go get that worker's permit when you were too young to work. And my mom went and got one for me. She let me go to work. And I remember what she told me. She said, son, once you start working, you'll never stop. And I was like, I just need some jingle in my pocket. I need some walking around money. So I went to work. By the way, she was right. I started working at 14 and I haven't ever stopped. And the way the future looks, not to get too future-minded, I don't think I'll get to stop until they put me in the ground. But here's the thing. I remember being so ready for that job. And I remember getting dropped off and then training me and I was like, man, I got this. But you know, that wasn't really what the job was about. So I remember I got my first paycheck and I was upset. Because somebody called the government, took a bunch of it. And then somebody else named FICA, who I didn't even know who that dude was, but I was mad because he made about as much as I did. And I was like, whoever these two people are, they need to stop taking my money. Well, then I got my little paycheck, but that wasn't really the real pressure started to come from. The real pressure wasn't when I was there at that job, it was fairly easy. The real pressure was now that I lost that three or four hours in the afternoon, school started getting tougher because I lost all that time that I had to just sit and do work or whatever. Now all of a sudden I only had a little bit of time when I got home and I was tired, huh? Because I had been at work. And the problem wasn't having to do the work for three hours. The problem was those people that came in, you know, the ones that have faces, that none of us really like. They got attitudes. Their attitude came in the door about 10 minutes before they did. And you're just like, after they're done, after you're done helping them, and you're really trying to do your best to kill them with kindness, after the fact, you're just like, that took a lot out of me. You'd go home and you'd replay that one snarky comment in your head over and over again. And I was like 14 at the time. So of course, imagine a teenager who smells funny and you can't figure out why, trying to figure out why these people are mean with a less than fully formed brain anyway because I'm a teenager. None of it made sense to me. But I thought I was ready for it all. That's the same thing Paul's saying here. You know, the world has been trying to figure out an answer and it thinks it's been ready to be the boss for a long time. And it's always trying to find an answer. So whether or not it's the father we answer to or something else. There's always something over us that we're referring to that we're trying to get an answer from, an authority. 
for most of the people right now, the world is their authority. And it has been since there had been dirt. But, but God said, he said right here, he said, but that's the way I designed it. I look at my son now, and he's so ready for everything. He's not even four yet. He'll be four in a week. And he's ready to drive. Daddy, I can drive your truck. Probably better than me, son, I know. He's ready to, the new thing, he learned how to use the remote. So now, he can start his own shows. And on one hand, I'm really grateful because that means I can finish cooking dinner. Because if one runs out, he can start another one. Then all of a sudden, all the things running through my head, I have to lock everything down because now he can navigate. He got the drivers, he got the wheel to the TV now, and I'm like, nope. So I had to lock down all the stuff that he could get to that I didn't want him to. But when we see this, it's more about maturity and decision making. It's also interesting because God has given us a peek into his design and purpose for us. It's one of the things that we wrestle with the most, purpose. It's one of the hardest things for us to figure out. What am I supposed to be doing? How am I supposed to be doing? Who am I supposed to be doing it for? By the way, the who is always more important than all the other things. Who you are doing something for tends to ask, answer the what or the how. Who is such a more powerful question than all the other ones are, especially when it comes in reference for God. When you think, who am I doing this for? I'm doing it for Jesus. The what and the how tend to take care of themselves when you put the who first. By the way, that's just a little free piece of wisdom right there when it comes to seeing through this stuff, is that our purpose the pandemic hasn't made it easier, especially on church. Because the things we used to do, we maybe don't anymore. The way we used to do things anymore, changed, adjusted. Maybe not even happening at all anymore. A lot of the comfortable things have left. Left us with a new normal, or the word now is a normative. I believe that a lot of church folks have been disillusioned by this too, as they struggle to go, how are we going to do this? What are we going to be doing? But my answer always is, the who never changed. As long as the who never changes, the what and the how solves itself a lot of ways. And I think that that is the problem that we have forgotten, too, over this time period. We may have lost track of who we were doing things for. And that changed the how we did and what we did and why we did. Christmas sitting right there out there in front of us, this passage in Galatians, Paul reminds us that God has a design and a plan in this. It's about the who. Christmas helps us see that purpose in God's design. Despite the fact that we're not spiritually mature enough, we are still heir according to God's plan. That's a crazy way of seeing the world, isn't it? When was the last time you looked at somebody lost, broken, dejected, alcoholic, addict, whatever it is, looked at them and went, boy, there is an heir of God that just hasn't said yes to adoption yet. 
When was the last time you looked at that? Down in the dumps, dirty, nasty, broken, lost center of a person. By the way, you were there at one point too, but it's amazing how we forget that. When was the last time you looked at them and said, wow, I don't see trash or refuse. I see an heir of God that just hasn't said yes to adoption yet. Because you know, when Jesus came, some of my favorite videos to watch on YouTube are those ones where their parents, stepchildren, will surprise their parents with adoption papers for like a birthday or whatever. And they'll ask a parent to adopt them. Sometimes they're like 20 or 30 years old and they'll finally ask somebody to adopt them. Because it doesn't mean anything other than the significance of, you raised me, you're really my father, you're really my mother. I love watching those videos. They get me teared up every time. I watch them by myself so nobody can see me cry. But when Jesus came, Jesus basically signed an adoption paper for every single person living and yet to live, slid it across the table, turned it around, circled the X, left the pen on the paper and said, all you got to do is sign and you become my brother. You become my sister. You become an heir a co-heir with me and you inherit the same kingdom that I do. Adoption papers. Signed, sealed, delivered. Slid across the table sitting in front of every single person. All they got to do, sign on the X, say yes, God's son. God's daughter. The, the arrival of Christ in flesh reminds us that God is working and that his plan for us is to be true heirs. Every single person. Verse 2 says, but as under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Verse 3 says, even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. It's hard sometimes to look at that word governor and not immediately come to a political implication that had nothing to do with that. It's rather somebody making proxy decisions for somebody else. In Greek... If you trace those two words back to Greek, they literally talk about somebody that would make a decision in place of a father. So maybe somebody that's in authority. I think of like a governess or somebody that would run the school in a household way back in the day. That's really where that word coming from there. And then that too, that's somebody that's in charge of somebody else. God has been working the whole time. I know we say that all the time, but think about this. Every minute of every hour, of every day, of every year, of every heartache, of every pandemic, he's been bringing us to this point. And some of us want to fast forward to 2021 and forget that. Because there might be something better on the other side. You realize that Christmas is the arrival of the best thing on our side. There is no better than Christ. And that's what Christmas represents for us, the, the, the crux of that. In the state of being spiritually immature or spiritually undeveloped, that's what that child represents here in this text. We make decisions based by the bound of the logic of the world. I like that Paul Till refers to the elements 
the elements of the world. You know, he was referring to the idea that the Greeks thought they had it all figured out, that the world was made of four things, that all matter was made out of earth, wind, air, and fire. That just blows my mind still to think that the smartest people in the world were like, oh yeah, it's made only of these four things. Only these four, everything is. But you know, a spiritually undeveloped child may solely rely on the explanations of the world in order to make decisions. Before you knew God, you didn't make decisions the way that God would want you to make decisions. You made them the way that the world makes them. I think we forget that too sometimes when we look at people. You know, I've said it a million times, lost people do what lost people do. Sometimes I think we hold them to a higher expectation when they are children, spiritually immature, undeveloped. They're under the same idea that they think they got it all figured out. It's made out of these four things. They don't have a heavenly father to seek wisdom from, but rather the world has become their proxy for authority because they don't have Christ. But we know that the world is built through the Son by way of the Spirit and from the Father. Christmas is that revelation to us. God with skin on it. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Again, one of my favorite phrases in all the New Testament. Fullness of time. Again, he chose the time and the place perfectly. He also puts you in the perfect time and the place that you are right now. Think about tomorrow when you're doing whatever that thing is. And it might not even be something that you'll want to do. God has a plan for it. That person that you maybe don't want to talk to because they could rub the horns off a goat. Maybe that's exactly who God wants you talking to tomorrow. Fullness of time encapsulates all of that. He sent Jesus with skin on him. God with skin on him. That's what Jesus is. And he sent him under the law. Born under the same circumstances that we were yet without sin. Born under the same rules that we are. And he didn't sin. Each one of the Gospels portrays Christ as perfect Adam, perfect Noah, perfect Abraham. He really is the perfect Adam. He's the first. Of all creation. Not created, but he's through whom all things were created, by and for. And when he showed up at Christmas and he put skin on, he said, this is what you're supposed to look like. I know, y'all, I'm grateful for that. I do so much better when I can watch somebody else do it. If it wasn't for YouTube, I couldn't have figured out how to put a ceiling fan up in my house. Some of y'all looking at me laughing, but it's true. If it wasn't for me watching that guy that's maybe not quite as good as I am, electrocute himself twice in that YouTube video, I might have done the same thing. 
I like having a video to watch to teach me how to do things. I love that when you now look up a recipe for something you want to cook, they don't just show you the ingredients, they show you what it's supposed to look like when you're done cooking it. By the way, isn't that an amazing thing? I have made some things and followed a recipe and didn't have a picture at the end. It did not look like something I wanted to eat because I messed something up along the way. But if I can look at the way it's done, then I can come back and go, oh, I should have done this right here and not that because that's what I'm supposed to look like. Isn't the wisdom of a father in the fullness of time to give us a perfect model amazing? I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the fact that I get to look at that. And then he goes on to talk about that we might gain adoption. Adoption. That's amazing to me. I always think of uh, the prodigal son right here. It always reminds me of the prodigal son whenever I go through this first part of Galatians. Because, you know, he took his place, his place as heir, and he surrendered it for immediate gratification. He gave it up to get a part of his inheritance now so that he could be in control and stop listening to his dad. And I could do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. And I think that he was reminded when he was sitting down there eating with the pigs, by the way, you're also doing this by yourself too. This was your decision, right? To eat down here with those pigs. But you know, when he came back, when he came back, the father was waiting for him in the room. Gave him back his brain, which would have been the insignia that would have given him the authority of being the heir again in the house. Gave it back to him. Restored immediately. When you come to God by way of Christ, that insignia ring gets slipped right back on and you're in the family. Adopted. When you sign that paperwork, it's not contingent on anything. Don't. You ever watch commercials? And that deal's so good, especially last week if you were into the deals or anything. And then you realize... There's all this small print down at the bottom about that long. This is when you have to be here between 6 and 7 at this time. Stand in this line on one foot. Hop 12 times. you got to pay with this. Or they flash the big price up there. $49.99. Then you have to open a credit card, use two rebates, bring a coupon with you, get in this line. And then you also have to price match it to this over there to get that $49.99. All those contingency things. Aren't you great that when those adoption papers were slipped your way because of Jesus, that there is no contingency on them? You don't sign them, slide them back, thinking you're okay, and then at the end of time, God's not going to stand in front of you and go, well, you know, you forgot the final fee. I'm really sorry. You didn't sign your name in full. You left out your middle name, so technically the form's invalid. So, sorry, eternity without me. Because that's just the way it breaks, right? Aren't you glad that's not the way God deals with us? Christmas also reminds us of that, his design, his plan for us. Verse 7 says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want to rewind quickly and just go back to the end of the previous verse where he says, Abba, Father. I've touched on this before. Daddy is what Abba Father translates to. 
It's very familiar reference to a father. It's not formal. It's like a child, like an earnestness to it. Hold that in contrast to how Paul started this verse. In one, when he talks about you're being under a tutor or a governor or somebody else that's making decisions for you by proxy. Not your real authority, not your real father, but somebody that's over you. And now, because of this adoption, you don't get to just say, I have another authority figure over me. You get to say, I have a daddy. I have a father. Christmas reminds us of that too. Verse 7, we have freedom because of Christ. True freedom. And that freedom comes through adoption. It comes through being an heir. Isn't that fun that Paul traces that? He could have just said, hey, when you become an, you become adopted, you become a son. Great. He could have left it there, couldn't he? You know what that makes us? All Cinderella's. You understand this, right? That if you're not an heir, you're just a Cinderella. You're just hired help. You're going to get locked up in the tower somewhere, and your job is going to be to clean and do all the dirty work. But God doesn't do that with any of his children. You become a son, you become a daughter, you become a co-inheritor of the kingdom. You're not a Cinderella. You're a first pick. You're his treasure. Christmas should remind us of that. Think about this for a second. You're not just discarded, thrown away. You get the same inheritance that Jesus Christ is. Let that sink in for a second. We say it all the time. We talk about it. Yeah, just like Jesus. Think about the preeminent one, the Alpha and the Omega who stepped out of heaven and laid Godhood down and wrapped himself in flesh to spend 33 years on this broken dirt ball with us, who immediately ascended back to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, pleading and interceding on our behalf, the Lamb of God, and because of God's plan, you get the exact same inheritance that he does. If that doesn't amaze you, I don't know what would. I can tell you what won't. Anything in 2021 pales in comparison to what you have now in Christ. No matter the condition or state you're in, it all pale, pales in comparison to Christ. So fast forward to 2021, not a chance. We're here together in the fullness of time. God placed us in this time, at this point, together. And I don't want to miss anything that he needs me to see. Get too far ahead and we might have missed an opportunity to help 15 families. If we would have just said that to Thanksgiving, whatever, let's just, you know, we'll Go through the motions, get through it. If we would have looked past Thanksgiving, we might have missed the opportunity to help 15 people, 15 families. Get too far ahead and we might miss the opportunity to celebrate the arrival of God's Son. Get too far ahead and we might miss an opportunity to share a gospel with somebody that God has placed in your path. Get too far ahead 
and miss your opportunity to respond to the gospel. 